to have you here. We are uh, in a series on the book of Ephesians, and uh, we are coming to weekend eight. And uh, as we begin, we, we finished up uh, Ephesians chapters one and two. And as we begin chapter three, if you've uh, read ahead a little bit this week, you may have noticed we're kind of crossing into some um, uncomfortable territory. A lot of stuff that we've talked about so far has been kind of fun and interesting. And, and now Paul's going to kind of, you know, cross a river into something that for many of us is a little difficult to think about, a little difficult to process. I think it's illustrated decently uh, in this video. Jesus, I am so excited today. It's like I woke up and thought today is the day to get working for Jesus. Kat, I am so excited to find someone who's ready to take action and get things done. Oh man, I am that girl. Exactly. Yeah. Now, I've got something perfect for you. So oh. let's get started. Okay. <sighs> what are you doing? Uh, stand up. Remember, we were going to take action. Yeah, but this is where I always sit. Right, but I need more than this. Oh, I know what you're getting at. Okay, Jesus, how much do you want? What? $50, is that enough? Oh, uh, that's not what I meant. Oh, uh, all right, well, 100 then, you know. You drive a hard bargain. <laughs> okay, um, but um, you might not want to cash this till next Friday, you know what I'm saying? Right. There you go. <laughs> okay, okay, Kat, really, I, I do think it's great that you want to give, but I want you to mentor a younger woman. Ooh, yeah, right. Well, Jesus, you know, I'm not really into, like, teaching people and stuff. I mean, I'm not, I don't really get into that. Okay. Um, okay, you, you know that woman at the office, Amy? Yeah. I want you to take her out to lunch. Tell her about me. Um, well, Amy is different. I mean, like, really different, you know? Well, I know, but she needs to know about me. Mm, and I can tell the people at the church to call her. I mean, they get paid to do things like that. I want you to do that. Jesus, I just don't feel comfortable doing that. No, Kat, the problem is you're too comfortable. Yeah. You see... Statistics tell us that for most of us who are Christ followers, we're very uncomfortable when it comes to sharing our faith. In fact, statistics say that only one in every ten of us even do it on an annual basis. That is, share Christ with someone who doesn't know him. And so that kind of creates a double tension for us, doesn't it, if we're honest? The first tension is that, uh, you know, we're very uncomfortable doing it. We, when we're in situations and, and we're thinking about sharing Christ with someone who doesn't know him, it makes us very uncomfortable. But then we're also faced with the fact that Jesus kind of made it clear uh, what was to be a top priority for us in this life. In fact, he said to his disciples, I want you to go into the world and go everywhere and announce the message of God's good news to one and all. So most of us find that rather difficult. And so as we come to Ephesians chapter 3, I think Paul, kind of knowing that intuitively and led by the Spirit of God, decides to address this issue, but he does it in a, in a really unique way. Um, he's going to talk about the keys to his success as being someone who uh, was very good at this concept of sharing Christ 
with other people. And in Ephesians chapter 3, which is where we're going to be today, he begins this way. Paul says in verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, now surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. Now, this mystery is through the gospel. The Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promises of Christ Jesus. Paul shares with us in this passage three secrets to his success. I mean, this guy was the man when it came to sharing his faith. And so he's going to share with us some secrets that maybe might not be intuitive for us. And as we dive into the passage, we want to notice the first one is this. That Paul says, if you're going to be someone who kind of gets beyond uh, the, the, the comfort zone and begins to share their faith with other people, you're going to have to learn to choose your chains, if you will. Now, before Paul was a Christian, you may know that he was a Jewish leader. He was part of an elite group in Israel of men who who led the nation spiritually in Judaism. Paul, though, had made his mark specifically by being known as a guy who went around persecuting Christ followers. They thought that Christians were, were part of a cult, that it was a bad thing. And so Paul would go from town to town, and he would ask around and find out who the Christians were. And then he would persecute them. He might get them fired from their jobs. Sometimes he could get them thrown into prison. Sometimes he would run them out of town. We know that some people were put to death for their faith. And so this is, this is what Paul's doing. Now, one day, Paul's traveling along what we call the Damascus Road. And he's got some letters, and he's on his way to a town because he's going to have some Christians thrown into prison for their faith. And as he's going along, he has an encounter. He encounters the risen Jesus Christ. Now, this had to be like a huge shock for Paul because Paul thinks that Jesus was a common criminal, that he was uh, crucified on a cross, and that he was dead. He was pretty sure that the disciples had probably stole his body and hidden it somewhere, but Jesus wasn't alive. So you can imagine the shock when Paul comes face to face with this guy who he's been persecuting. And so, you know, Jesus is basically like, you know, Paul, what's your problem? <laughs> you know, uh, I don't know what you're doing, but this is a big mistake. You need to stop persecuting Jesus freaks and you need to become one of them. Think you can do that for me? And so, you know, Paul's thinking, well, let's see. If I, if I have a face-to-face with a guy who I thought was dead, you know, and he tells me this is what I need to do with my life, then it would just seem like that would make sense. And so Paul begins to follow Christ. He's spreading the gospel. He's, he's traveling around. He's starting churches. He's training up leaders. And you know, a lot of times when we study the life of Paul, it's easy to think, what, a, what an amazing, unusual, spiritual guy. And while he was a great man, I think one of the real keys to Paul's success was just that he was extremely logical in the way he lived his life. Paul just thought, if you meet up with the risen Savior, if that's what you experience, and you know, only an idiot would not live accordingly. So Paul's just, he's making some logical decisions here. And, and, and now, as we get to the end of the book of Acts, before the book of Ephesians is written, the irony is that Paul becomes the very person that he once hated. 
that he once persecuted. And now there are Jewish leaders who are doing what he used to do. They're persecuting Christians, and so they begin to come after Paul. Because Paul's having a lot of success in bringing people to Christ. And they want to shut him down. And so they have Paul arrested on some false charges. They have him thrown into prison. And this happens a couple years before the book of Ephesians is written. So Paul's in prison, and this is what he writes in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, for, for this reason I, Paul, and notice how he identifies himself. He says, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Now, he's in a Roman prison, and, and I don't know about you, but I, I was thinking about prison this week, and I thought, I like having some control in my life, you know, when I get up and what I eat and what I do with my schedule. Here's Paul, and he has, he has none of those options in his life. He has no control. He's confined to a prison. He's chained to a guard, because it's not enough that he's in a prison. They chain him to a guard 24-7. So he doesn't get to decide when he gets up. He doesn't get to decide when he goes to bed. He doesn't get to decide what he eats or schedule. He has no privacy ever think that one through, ever, all right? He always has someone chained to him all of the time. And Paul says, here's the deal. I become a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, that kind of stopped me in my tracks this week as I thought about that. Paul didn't say, I'm a prisoner of the Jews, even though they were the ones who had him arrested. Paul doesn't say, I'm a prisoner of the Romans, even though he was in a Roman prison chained to a Roman guard. He doesn't say, I'm a prisoner of my circumstances. Can you believe this? I mean, I'm just following Christ and this happens. Paul says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Paul's just saying this. Paul's saying that before he was ever chained to a Roman guard, he decided to chain himself to someone else. You see, many years before this, Paul had had an encounter with the risen Savior. And Paul decided that the only reasonable response was to put his hands out and say, take me. I want to be your prisoner. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my king. I want you to call the shots. And so Paul had become a prisoner of Jesus Christ. So for Paul to become a prisoner of Rome, really, quite frankly, meant nothing to him because Paul said, you know what? I gave all this up years ago. Freedom, calling the shots. Because I realized there's only one thing in life that's important, and that is following my Lord Jesus Christ. That's all that matters to me. So to be in prison... This is part of God's will. In fact, Paul could have been miserable. He could have been discouraged. He's writing about this whole prison thing to the Philippians. And he says this, Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me, he's talking about being arrested and being in prison, everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including all the soldiers in the palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. Now Paul, because of the fact that he had, um, he had appealed to Caesar became technically uh, kind of on the waiting list to appear before Caesar, and he was put under, under Caesar's guard, under Caesar's care. And so he is chained to what we know today as the Praetorian Guard. They were Caesar's top guards. They were the, kind of the military guards that were in his household and in the upper echelons of the Roman government. And it was these Praetorian Guard who would have been chained to Paul on a rotating eight-hour schedule. So, so Paul just says to the Philippians, you've got you to gotta understand, this seems like a really hard thing, a harsh thing. Paul's like, it just depends on how you look at it. Think about this. When I was traveling on my missionary journeys before, you guys had to give me money and support me, and I had to go out and find a place to stay and buy food, and I don't have to do any of that anymore. He's like, the Roman government's paying for all of it. They're paying for my lodging. They're paying for my food. They're even paying for the people I witnessed to. 
Paul's like, think about it. <clears throat> They're chaining a different guard to me every eight hours. What do you think we're talking about during that eight hours? And what, that guy can't go anywhere. He's chained to me. So Paul's sharing Christ with these guys, this, this captive audience. Only Paul would love that, you know? He's like, <clears throat> this is audience. Paul's like saying, who's the real prisoner here? Just, just think about it. Think about what's happening. These guards are getting saved. And they're going back to their homes and they're sharing Christ. But even more than that, they're going to Caesar's household. They're going to the upper echelons of the Roman government and they're sharing Christ. And the faith in Christ begins to infiltrate the government at the highest levels. Paul says, I've chained myself to Jesus Christ. And it's quite frankly, it sounds terrible. It's the most awesome thing you could ever imagine. It will take you places in life that you will never go being chained to anything else. Paul says, I've done this for the sake of you Gentiles. We talked about that last week, the Jews and the Gentiles. And Paul just had this heart for the Gentiles, the people who were far from God. And Paul, Paul knew something. Paul knew that God deeply loved and cares for Gentiles. Paul knew that Jesus died for us. Paul knew that God had this brand new life for us that, that we hadn't experienced yet. And so sharing the gospel with people became Paul's top priority. I thought about it this week. Why do so many of us find it so difficult to share Christ with others? I think it's because many of us have already chained ourselves to something else. And that something else is making it difficult for us to share Christ. For some people, some, some believers today, they're chained to their job. And when you're chained to your job, the, the job is the thing that leads you and guides you. Every decision that you make is based on your job. So you may find it, find, it, find it hard to share Christ because you're thinking about your job. What could it cost me? What about my promotion? What about this? What if I lose my job because I share Christ? And you become a prisoner of your job. Some believers today are prisoners of some relationship or, or maybe a prisoner of, of wealth or, or a prisoner of status or comfort or convenience or self-centeredness. But it's making it extremely difficult for us to share the gospel with other people because we've chained ourselves to something else. Paul comes along and says, it's not a problem for me. But what about you? What are you chained to? What's leading you? What's, what's guiding you? What's calling the shots in your life? So Paul says, here's the first secret to me being able to share Christ with other people. It's not a seminar. It's not going through a book. It's not going through a class at church or knowing how to share the four spiritual laws. Paul says, I just chained myself to Jesus Christ. That was the first key. Here's the second key to his success. Paul said, you just have to learn that all you're really doing here is you're revealing a mystery. In uh, verses 2 and 3, Paul says this, Now surely you've heard about the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation. As I've already written briefly now, in, in the earlier chapters of Ephesians, Paul mentions the mystery several times, and we've kind of glossed over it until today when we can dig down into it. And Paul says that he's been made a steward, and when we think of stewardship, we often think of money because the Bible talks a lot about that. The word steward means manager or administrator. Technically, it just means the management of a household or a business that belongs to someone else. So in those days, you might have someone who, who maybe owned a business and they were going to travel for a while and, and on vacation, do some business. So they would, they would uh, hire a steward and that steward would be in charge of, of their business while they were gone. It wasn't the steward's business. They didn't own it. They were just conducting business for the owner while he was gone. Sometimes someone would get a steward for their household or their finances or, or running of the, of, of the farm or whatever it was. And, and that didn't belong to the steward. They were just managing it for the other person. 
Paul comes along and says, God's made me, God's made you a, a steward of something. And that, that stewardship, he says, is of a mystery. So this is kind of interesting the way Paul puts it. He says it's really a mystery, the thing that God has entrusted us with. So that's kind of cool because mysteries are big in the U.S. In fact, 20% of all book sales last year were mystery novels. So we like mysteries. I like mysteries. I like my favorite show on TV is Monk. I'm kind of mourning Monk right now. It's kind of sad. But we're going to start watching all the reruns. And, and, uh, but, but Monk is a great show because Monk is this guy, right, where at the beginning of the episode, a crime takes place and they leave out some of the details. And then so you go through the episode and they're, they're just giving you little clues here and there and you're watching it and picking up the clues and laughing at Monk being so bizarre and OCD, right? And then when you get to the end, uh, my, I love it because I'm always trying to figure out what happened before Monk reveals it. And then at the end of the episode, Monk always, he always has that moment, right, where he says, you know, here's what happened, right? And then once he tells you the mystery, usually it's like, oh, well, that's not that complicated. That's not big of a deal because mysteries are like that often. Once they're revealed, people are like, oh, well, that's, that's pretty simple. But until they're revealed, it's often hard for people to understand. Now, in verse 4, Paul goes on. He's talking about the mystery, and he says this. Now, in reading this, then, you, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God, uh, God's holy apostles and prophets. Now, up to this point, in history, this mystery had not been made known. It wasn't that God didn't give clues. In fact, he did. When we look back in the Old Testament, we can see how God gave clues to the mystery through Abraham, through the calling of the nation Israel to himself. We see some clues about what the mystery is going to be. When he gives the law, when, when he gives the tabernacle, the sacrificial system, all those are clues into the mystery. But now it's been revealed through people like Paul and, and through people like Peter. So what's this mystery that nobody got, that nobody understood? Well, in verse 6, he tells us. He says, now this this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. In other words, he says, here's the mystery. Up to this point in time, people always thought that salvation came through things like being born a Jew. Right? We talked about that last week, how, how in the church... The Jews thought Gentiles had to become Jews before they could become Christians. And there was a whole problem in the church with that. Some people thought salvation comes through ritual. Salvation comes through religion. It it comes through being good enough. Paul says, actually, here's the mystery. Everyone has equal access to God through Jesus. Now, today, we'll hear that and go, what? That was it? That was a mystery that through the cross we can all come to Christ? What? How dumb could those people be? I mean, that's pretty simple, isn't it? That's pretty easy. But it was actually very difficult for them to to comprehend because they were so seeped in in religion and prejudice against one another. Paul comes along and says, here's the mystery. Everyone has equal access to God. It doesn't matter who you are, where you were born. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. It doesn't matter, remember last week, if you're near or far. None of that matters. Everyone has equal access to God through Jesus Christ. And this point gets hammered home again and again and again in the New Testament. That's part of what it's getting at in John 3.16. It says, it's talking about, uh, for God so loved the world. Notice this, that he gave his only son that everyone, and what does it say there? Who what? Who believes. Everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That concept of believe just means that we're saved when we have faith in Jesus Christ. Because when we believe in him, we're given a gift. And that gift 
we call grace. And grace is the great equalizer. It makes everyone the same in Christ. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 that we looked at a few weeks ago, it, notice it says it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's not, it's not because of religion. It's not because of works. It's not because you were better than you know, other people. That's not how you come to Christ. It's a gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. So when a church full of people come together who have all been saved by grace, no one can boast that they're better than anyone else in the room. No one can brag. No one can look down. No one can judge others because we all came to Christ the exact same way. But people back then found it mysterious. A lot of people today still find grace to be mysterious. Some people today still think that good people should go to heaven and bad people shouldn't. And they find grace kind of mysterious. That doesn't make any sense to them. Some people, they find grace mysterious. They're like, if, if, if you've been a jerk your whole life and at the end of your life you give your life to Christ, I had a guy tell me one time, he said, that's just not fair. If that's what heaven's all about, then I don't want to go there. I don't think it's fair that someone can live, you know, just be a jerk their whole life, come to the end of their life, place their faith in Christ and, and just be forgiven. That's crazy. That's ridiculous. See, some people today still find grace to be a mystery. Some people think, well, it's too good to be true. Some people think grace is kind of like a bait and switch. You get saved by grace, but then you have to stay saved by doing good works. Paul says, yeah, it's a, it's a mystery for a lot of people, but we've been given the stewardship to reveal that mystery to the people around us. That's what God has given us to share more than anything else. You're a steward of that message. Imagine, for, for instance, that you've got a pretty good life and you've got enough money to live on for the rest of your life and live a pretty comfortable life, so, so you're set. And one day, some guy comes up to you and he says, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on a trip for a while, so I want to write you a check for a billion dollars. And here's the deal. I'm going to give this money to you, and it's not your money. I just want you to be a steward of it while I'm gone. Here's a billion dollars. Now, here's what I want you to do with the money, because you, you obviously don't need it. You're set. Every time you see someone who's hungry, I want you to feed them. Every time you see someone who needs some, some clothing... I want you to take care of that for them. Every time you see someone who doesn't have a, a home to live in, I want you to buy something for them. And, and here's a billion dollars. And if you run out, just let me know and I'll send you some more. But those are, th- th- those are my instructions. It's not your money. It's my money. You don't need it. I want you to give it away every time you have a need. Now imagine that you just kind of keep that to yourself. You see people are hungry, you don't feed them. You see people are without shelter, shelter and, and you don't take care of them. And you just keep it for yourself which is kind of crazy because you don't even need it. You're set. It's not your money. Jesus says, I've given you the stewardship of this incredible message. It's about the grace of God. And he's given us a directive about what to do with it. It's not that complicated. We all understand grace. Grace just means that through faith, God has given us a gift and he offers it to people around us. Paul says, here's why I'm successful. He says, I'm successful because, first of all, I've chained myself to the will of God. And secondly, I'm successful because I understand all I really have to do is share this mystery with people around me. And the third reason Paul says that he's successful is because he's learned how to use the right tools. Now, there's a lot of books out there on how to share your faith in seminars and all that kind of stuff. But I think it's what, what's, what's interesting is what Paul shares about, about how to do this. One of my favorite tools in the whole world is the Milwaukee Sawzall. Anybody have a Sawzall? Anybody? Sawzalls are the coolest tools in the world. You could do 
almost anything with the sawzall. So when we moved in the house we're in now, we had a, uh, this entire basement that needed to be gutted out. Nothing is as fun as taking a sawzall and putting a great big blade on it and just cutting walls out. It was super extra fun. I loved it. Sawzalls are, they're just like, they're demolition machines. So I could do all sorts of stuff with my sawzall. Cut down walls. Uh, We wanted to put in a sliding glass door uh, outside where we had a window and we had brick. So I found out you could get a special blade for the sawzall and cut the brick. It was super cool. Loved it. One time I was out uh, back, and I don't know if Mike remembers this, Mike. We were putting, uh, hooking my house up to sewer, and I had this cast iron pipe coming out of the house. And Mike's like, oh, all you need is a special blade for that, and and you can cut through that cast iron. And Mike was like, I'm going to go do something else over here. And anyone ever cut cast iron with a sawzall? Okay, that's like a whole day-long project. But anyways, the other really cool thing about a sawzall is I learned when we moved into our house, we had all these really old roadies, and I'm not really a fan of old roadies. And so I would go to take them out. And if you've ever tried to take out an old rhododendron, you know they get some pretty massive roots on them. And so I would, you know, I'd get a shovel. I can't go through it with that. I'd go through a pickaxe. It'd take a while. I found you just get a big blade, and you stick that sucker in the ground, and you turn it on. Rhododendrons are gone in no time at all. You've got to have the right tool for the right job. Now, I don't use this as a screwdriver. I don't use it as a hammer, but I do use it for just about everything else. Um, the key is you've got to have the right tool for the right job. Paul says, God has given us a job to do, but by the way, he's given us some tools for doing that. In verse 7, he says this, Now, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. Notice a couple of things, a couple of tools, and you you might not think of these automatically when you think of tools that God's given you to share the gospel. The first is this. It says that when we share, we share by grace. We reach out from a place of grace. Now, some people share their faith out of guilt. You've probably never done that, but you know, we're like, oh, if I don't do it, I'm going to feel so guilty, I'm going to feel so bad. And you know, sometimes we share our faith out of fear, out of fear that God's going to, you know, really get ticked off with us if we don't do it. Or maybe we do it to impress other people, to show how spiritual we are. Or maybe we do it to get brownie points with God. Paul says, here's why I share my faith. I'll just make it very simple for you. Paul says, because I I sat down and I thought about my life. I, I thought about who I used to be and I thought about what I used to do and I thought about what it took for Jesus Christ to save me. I mean, I thought about the cross. I contemplated. In fact, what we find out in Scripture is After Paul has an encounter with Jesus Christ, he kind of hides away for a couple of years in the desert. And for a couple of years, he's just, he's instructed in the word. And I think he's just contemplating now, what does it mean to be a Christian? Paul just walks out of there going, man, you know, the more I think about the cross and the more I think about what God had to do, I'm blown away at the grace of God. It's just, it's amazing. Paul says, the reason I share is because I thought about it. And I I so appreciate what God has done for me that I want other people to experience what I've experienced. He was so overtaken by the grace of God, he was willing to sacrifice his freedom and his health and his life, and he enjoyed doing it because he was so overtaken by the grace of God. Here's a great tip for getting motivated to share your faith. If you find it difficult to share Christ with other people, what you need may not be a seminar or a book, or even a sermon. What you may need is just to get alone for a little while and think about what God has done for you and think about the grace of God. For me, sometimes I do that by just getting alone and doing some writing and thinking about what God's done in my life. Sometimes I get there through reading scripture or meditating. 
Sometimes it's just through being with other believers who mature and have a great attitude about their relationship with Christ and that stuff rubs off on us. But if you find it difficult to share Christ with others, it just may mean that you need to get a little more in tune with the grace of God. Paul says, man, I'm sharing because God has given me a gift and I'm so blown away by that gift. I just want other people to know it. The second thing Paul says is that you've got to depend on the power of God. See, one of the traps we get into when it comes to sharing our faith is we think that it's all up to us. I don't know if you've ever done that, but just kind of like, well, I'm going to share Christ with them, but I, I, I have to say just the right thing or they're not going to become a Christian. I have to do just the right thing, or, or I don't know if you've ever done this, but maybe it's somebody that you live with or somebody you work with, and maybe you think, well, the reason they're not a Christian is because I haven't lived a perfect life, you know? I've made some mistakes, and they've seen it. Let me tell you, nobody has ever you know, brought another person to Christ through living a perfect life, because none of us have done that. That's not the way it works. It's not done through your power. Some people think, well, I've got to learn how to debate or how to win an argument or have some amazing strategy. Paul comes along and says, you don't need any of that stuff. What you need is the power of God to work in your life. That word power that he uses, by the way, it's a familiar word to us in the Greek. It's a Greek word, dunamis. We get the English word dynamite from it. Paul just says it's this amazing explosive power that God has put inside of me. See, only God can draw people to himself. Only God can open up hearts and minds. And only God can save people. In Romans 1.16, Paul tells us how he does it. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because notice, it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile, like we talked about last week. Here's part of what Paul's saying. Paul, Paul's saying, you know, it's easy to get caught up in strategies and four spiritual laws and, and this kind of thing and that kind of thing. And Paul said, you understand the power is found in the word of God, which is ironic because sometimes that's the last thing we want to share. Sometimes we're like, well, if I start quoting scripture or that kind of stuff, people are going to, you know, think I'm a Jesus freak and check out and all that. And Paul says, no, you got to understand that's where the power of God is. It's in the words of God. You know, one of the things that, that I have to do week in and week out is stand up in front of people and teach. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, I don't have any desire in just coming up here and talking. I want to see lives changed. So every week I kind of have to get on my knees and wrestle with God. What do we want to do this week? And two of the, 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 the most pressure-filled weeks of the year are the week of Christmas and the week of Easter at church. Because on the week of Christmas and Easter, I know that we're going to get a lot of people coming who don't normally come to church. And so it's a unique opportunity to introduce people to Christ. And oftentimes I'll feel myself feeling all this pressure. Like, I got to say just the right thing. I got to have just the right illustration, you know. And if I can come up with just the right argument, everyone will just fall flat on their face and become Christ followers. It's just, I got to figure out what it is. And of course, you know as well as I do, that's not how anyone comes to Christ. But every now and then, I have to just find a really practical way to live that out. This last Christmas, I did it. You know, we kind of were talking about what are we going to do at Christmas. And I remember this year going, you know what, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm going to adjust. If you were here at Christmas, you, may, you probably noticed it was a little different. No three-point outline, none of that stuff. I decided I'm just going to let God be God at Christmas. I'm just going to read the Christmas story and fill in a few details. And I'm just going to trust in the power of God's word. Because if anyone comes to Christ, I can tell you this, it won't be because of me. Because I'm not saying anything. I'm just reading God's word. It was so fun to do that and trust in God. And then watch God save people on that weekend. Because that's what God does. It's what only God does. Only God can save. Our part is to share. Our part isn't to convince anyone of anything. Our part is just to share the mystery. God's part is to save.
So Paul says, just remember where the power is. And lastly, Paul says, and just, you know, just remember who you are. That's a powerful tool in sharing your faith. I mean, if you were Paul, how would you have felt about yourself? Think about all the people you led to Christ, the miracles you worked, the visions that you had had of heaven and Jesus and all that, your ability to teach. Here's how Paul identifies himself in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, for I am the, what? I'm the least of the apostles. Paul says, so here I am, and I'm the least of all the apostles. So that's pretty cool, though, because he's the least of a really elite group. There's only a few of them. And Paul's like, I'm the least of the best group. So that's pretty cool. But then in Ephesians, which he wrote a little bit later, he says this. He says, now, although I am less than the, what? Than the least. So he's kind of working down here. Now, I was the least of the apostles. Now I'm, the, now I'm less than the least of all of God's people. This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And then towards the end of Paul's life, after all the growth and the grace and the visions and ministry and all that, Paul says this, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. You'd say Paul was kind of having this, you know, crisis of identity, of of self-worth. And no, Paul was just, Paul was getting it figured out. He was figuring out who he was. Before he came to Christ, you might remember his name was Saul. And Saul was a Hebrew word that means asked for or chosen. And that was, that was a cool name for Paul. Paul's just like, you know, before I was a Christian, I, was, I always remembered that my parents wanted me. My parents asked for me. I was chosen. But then once he became a Christian, his name was changed to Paul, which means little. <laughs> so here's Paul. Now he becomes a Christian. His name is little. And every time he heard his name, he would have been reminded about how small he was and how much he needed Jesus Christ. He was always reminded of that. You know, I was thinking about this late last night. I thought, well, that's kind of funny because we call ourselves Christians. And in the early church, the word Christian meant little Christ. It was meant as a, a, it was meant as a put-down. People would come along and go, oh, you're a little Jesus. You're a little Christ. And they meant it as a put-down. But Christians loved it. They were like, yeah, that's, that's a good picture. That's what I am. I'm just a little bit of Jesus. But I'm connected to the Lord of the universe. And people would remember every time they heard the word Christian what that was. Paul would remember every time he heard his his name, who he was. See, humility isn't putting yourself down, thinking you're worthless, thinking God can't use you. That's not humility, that's a lack of faith. True humility is the ability to recognize our need of God at every point in our lives. So here's humble Paul. At the end of our section here in verse 12, he says this. Now in him, that is in Christ, through faith, we may approach God with freedom, and this is kind of interesting, and with confidence. Paul says, so here I am, and I'm really nothing, you know, I'm, 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 a, I'm, a, I'm in chains, I'm a prisoner. And Paul says, and you know, I have this little gospel to share, and, and, and I have no power in myself, and I know I'm not anything. But, but here's the really cool thing, Paul says, when I get on my knees, and when I come to God and I pray, I come with full confidence. I mean, I walk into the presence of God, And I'm like laying it down, you know, and I have tons of confidence. How is that, that Paul could be like that? Sometimes when I approach God, I don't have a lot of confidence. But I know why that is, because when I come to God God, and I'm asking him to do my stuff and my agenda and my will and give me my stuff, I, I don't have a lot of confidence with that. But Paul says, here's where you can have a lot of confidence. 
When you go to God and you say, God, I want so-and-so to be saved. I want you to use me to share Christ today. I want to be a witness. I want to be a prisoner in chains. I want to share the mystery. Paul says you can come and ask boldly. You can ask big. You can expect big. And you can act big. So I just want to ask you two questions as we, as we close this morning. The first question is this. What are you chained to right now? What are you chained to? Maybe as you're here this morning, you're thinking, you know what? Maybe that's part of the reason I'm finding it so difficult to share my faith. is because I've chained myself to something. I've chained myself to what people think of me. That's the most important thing to me. And I'm worried if I share Christ. I'm worried about what they'll think of me. Or I'm chained to my career. Or I'm chained to something else. What are you chained to this morning that's keeping you from following Jesus Christ? And it may be that as we've talked this morning that the Spirit of God has spoken to you. He's told you what that is. A good place to start is just to confess that. So here's the great thing about chains. You can take them off anytime you want and put another set on. That's part of the freedom that God's given you. God's inviting you this morning to, to let go of those chains and to offer yourself to Jesus Christ for whatever time you have left on this earth. To say, you know what, God, I want to be your prisoner because that's, that's the most amazing place to be. And then I would ask you this. Is there somebody in your life that you've kind of been mysterious with? You know? Yeah, they know a little bit about you. Maybe they know you're a Christian or they know you go to church. But you've never really just laid it out for them. And you're a bit of a mystery and the gospel's a bit of a mystery. See, God says, I don't want you to be mysterious. I want you to be unmysterious. Just, just make it plain. Just make it simple for them. Is there someone that God's put on your heart this morning you need to share with? I want to just invite you right now to pray for them. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for these words of Paul. Not typically our favorite thing to talk about because it's something we often feel very, very challenged on and we often feel threatened. We feel uncomfortable when it comes to sharing our faith. <clears throat> and Father, we're reminded this morning that you, you don't, you're not trying to get, put us on a guilt trip. You're not trying to pressure us into anything. I think Paul's just challenging us to think about our life. What's the point? Are we Christ followers or not? Did Jesus rise from the dead or not? Is he alive today or not? Is he a Lord of all or not? And if he is, then what does that mean for us today? Well, logically, Father, it would mean that that would be the message that we would want to get out to everyone around us. Father, I would pray for those of us who are here this morning, and it's hard. It's hard to be one who shares our faith because we've chained ourselves to something else right now. And we know what that is. And this morning, Father, we just want to cast those chains off through the power of God. We would ask you to to release those so that we can be a, a true prisoner of Christ. Father, we offer ourselves, we surrender ourselves to you this morning, our our will. Here we are. Father, take us and use us. And Father, we want to pray for those people in our in our world this morning who for whom your your grace is still a mystery. They still don't get it. They're still struggling with that. I pray that you would use us to make that mystery clear to them. That through your power you would draw them to yourself. We pray for their salvation. 
If God's put someone on your heart, you might just want to just tell God right now who that is. Just pray for them by name. And Father, I pray for us. Give us boldness as we move out from this place today to share the amazing good news that has changed our lives and our destinies. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.